five four three two one zero and liftoff. Dispatches, a production of Blur Bank, is an in-depth look at those living artistic lives. Each episode will feature photographs and audio interviews with narrative pioneers who have taken creativity and publishing in their own hands. From artists to authors, photographers to philosophers, Dispatches will reveal the faces and foundations of those who lead the creative way. Hello, everyone. This is Dan with Blurb. I'm in Emeryville, California today, up in the Bay Area with John Demerit, uh, the bookbinder. How you doing? Hi, Dan. And uh, before we start the interview, uh, I wanted just to go back and kind of give people a little background. You and I met a couple of years ago yeah. at a carte blanche gallery in San Francisco. There was a book event of sorts going on. I think Darius Himes was floating around. And yeah, and Todd Heido and Todd Mike Heido. Light. And, and I remember sitting all in... All the muckety-mucks. All the, bi- all the big wigs. I remember sitting and listening to you speak, and I didn't know you at the time, and I thought, God, that guy's like really down-to-earth, really cool, and has like an enthusiasm that was mm-hmm. infectious. And then we sort of kept touch, kept in uh, touch after that. I've been over here a couple of times looking at books, and um, but you've got some new endeavors going on. I thought yeah. it was a good time to to catch up. So ultimately, let's go back in time. When was when did books become a central focus for you? Um, since childhood, my mother ran a bookstore. I'm convinced this is why. My mother, um, you know, I grew up in the, you know, I came of age. And I was. Born in 64, so my mother was the manager of a hippie co-op bookstore in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> Where in Colorado? In Denver. All right. And uh, she was the manager, and so I basically, that was my home away from home as a child. And um, it had, like, a, in the basement, you could take, like, macrame classes and pottery. <laughs> and I'm also convinced that was part of my, why I may be so interested in making books as objects. So upstairs was kind of the books, and downstairs was where you made things. And that, I, I, I think that was sort of a pre-aesthetic for me, that that, that was an important connection, that um, I, um, I studied comp lit in college, and then I um, kind of fucked off and ended up here. And, um, <laughs> Which was when? Uh, 84, 85 or something like that in San Francisco. I was, I was very lucky because San Francisco has traditionally been a hub of book production and mm-hmm. more recently of art book production and also for fine printing and also photography. Why do you think that is? Um, well, the, the first printing press came through the Panama Canal for the Pan Pacific Exposition. That was what the first printing press on the West Coast you know, late 19th century. And I think so practically it was a hub for printing for commercial purposes. And then it, it, it also was, um, you know, where a lot of the sort of imagination of the Western United States, particularly with, you know, artists like uh, Moybridge mm-hmm. and all the, you know, all the photographers documenting the, you know, this grand natural thing happening in the Western United States uh, that l- naturally linked itself up to a lot of printing. And I think that's where a lot of that came. And then the whole literary stuff that was happening sure. here at the same time. So there's a whole lineage. And then up through like the beat era and the 60s counterculture, that all of that is, has to do with a lot of publishing and a lot of art publishing. And so what, at what point did you say, I'm going to open my own business and this is solely what I'm going to do? Um, it was all very, you know, serendipitous. I stumbled into a, my whole background in bookbinding was vocational. I stumbled onto a job working for this great bookbinder named Klaus Retcher. 
Oh, yeah. In San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you know that guy. I know that name. Yeah, yeah, and he had this studio in San Francisco where I, I worked for, I was his sort of de facto apprentice for about five years. And then I worked at all the other shops around. And then one day, uh, the shop I was working at, I kind of stormed off in a huff. And the next day, I was in business. 95. 95. Yeah. And in, in terms of what you're doing now and what you were doing in 95, how much consistency is there and how much new it has arrived? It has. I've always been... Um, it's been consistent in the sense that I do addition work. I make multiples for um, publishers and fine art printers and galleries and individual artists. Um, I do more fine art now, especially after the, you know, 2008 when mm -hmm. all the other work just kind of magically disappeared. Sure. You know, we used to do a little more work for... Oh, we used to do a lot of prototyping for a couple of big Silicon Valley companies you probably heard of. Okay. And um, that kind of work all went away. All the commercial work went away. And I got what I always wanted, <laughs> which was to work exclusively in the fine art world, you know, pros and cons. That's what, that was my next question was it's, you know, there's, there's many pretty interesting takes on mm -hmm. when, when society goes through a trauma of sorts, what emerges from the art perspective is, is typically some pretty significant work. And yeah, it was interesting. And it's an, it's an interesting time to me. And it was interesting to me that that's what sustained me was the, because I expected that to go first. But it actually, the fine art publishers, they were like, well, what? Do we, this is what we do. Right. So we, and we've had to sort of wrap our, you know, especially in the, you know, this millennia, we've certainly had to wrap our arms around living in a, a, a hub, a, a technological hub, and um, which is, has become very interesting to me. And I think as a craftsperson, easy to poo-poo that stuff, but I'm actually really fascinated in that area where traditional, you know, where in, you know, my, my room, my studio, we try and keep it very, very basic. There's not even anything there with a motor on it. But outside of that, we're very interested in incorporating all these, you know, just tools for lack of a better word. Sure. To help us with our work. And when you say that you make additions for people, for, for people out there who are not familiar with that or who have never made an addition, can you just give me a basic rundown of what that means and, and also approximate, like, are you doing additions of 100 yeah. or additions of 10? Well, historically, an addition is, is based around the concept of what's called a publisher's binding, which is a, a sort of mode of publishing that was developed in the mid-19th century when publishing and printing became more mechanized and books were issued in a uniform state. Before that, they weren't. Before that, you would bought, when you bought a book, it would come in a temporary binder and you would read it, and after you were done, you'd take it down to your corner bookbinder, and they would bind it. That's okay. why when, you know, sometimes if, like if you go and look like an old library that was a, a museum that was like a gentleman's library, and the books looked like they were never read. That's, that's why. because It's not like they didn't read them, but <laughs> they would read them and then have them bound. Okay. So uh, an edition is a uniform state of a publication. Um, in, in some numerical form. Okay. We generally don't do more than, after about 50, we get a little squeamish. Okay. Um, occasionally I'll do a big edition of like 200 or so, but that's, that's really pushing it for me. And are there, is there a volume of people wanting to do this work that goes far beyond what you're capable of handling, or is it the other way around? Is this, a, is this a, an experience in the modern world that is a few and far between process? Uh, I think right now there's a pretty, what's always worked for me is I get almost all of my work outside the traditional book world. Okay. Uh, there's a few things that like, you know, like in the, the sort of fine press, letterpress world, we work a little bit in that world, but I work a lot in the 
the world of auditioning outside of that, particularly in the photography world. And to there, there's to me, there's um, a huge amount of, of opportunities to work. Um, but but it's, it's, it's helped me to step outside, to, to move laterally outside of what's expected of my craft. Well, photo books are ex exploding. Yeah, that US. whole world is like, um, it's crazy. And do, do the, the people that come to you, do, you come, the, do people come in the very early stages of the project and say like, you know, hey man, this is something that I'm envisioning doing two years from now? Or do they come to you with a, with a finished story? And a, and a, Both. And, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, do, do you prefer to work one way or the other? I like to work with people more than once. And I like to have people that I've worked with for a long time. You know, Michael Light would be an example. Oh, his who, stuff's amazing. Yeah. Who, you know, I've, we've worked together on so many projects. But very often um, we will work with with publishers or artists who have a, they usually come with a project that's mm -hmm. that's ready to go, but there's so much to, you know, that's a good starting point for us. And then the good ones will come early enough in the process that we can really, um, because there's so much to taking a project that exists as images or exists as an exhibition. And it's, it's a totally different thing to, you know, make it exist as a book object. Now, you have a new endeavor going with your wife, mm -hmm. which is? It's called Demerit Powell's Editions, and we are trying to, we're endeavoring, we started last year, we're trying to publish three editioned art objects a year, mostly in the form of books. And, and you guys ha both have to agree on which, the, which projects <laughs> they are. Yes. Is, is there any particular style that you're looking for, or are you going to go across the board? Uh, we are, at the moment... The, the way we decided, we, we, we um, hemmed and hawed about what we were going to do, and then we just started. So we've, so far, we have produced two books, one with uh, Clifton Metter and another one with Sofia Cordoba, which are photo-based. And then our, but our third project is with a painter named Brad Brown, so that's a more conceptual book piece that has a lot of handwork in it and letterpress printing over it. So I don't know. Right now, we sort of are treating our publication program like do you want to be in our band with us while we make this book together? Yes. I'm yeah. With the, I'm with the, I want to be able to say I'm with the band. Uh, and that's kind of the, you know, making this kind of symphonic ensemble sort of endeavor and working with people we want to work with. That's about as far as I've gotten with, because I, I know just by, given by how my own business has grown, that you just have to start doing those things and the sort of, the reasoning behind it will reveal itself. That's great. I like that. Because <laughs> you can sit around and think about and think. what you want. Yeah. You can think about it and you can think about it. But until you really start, I don't think you really know. You just got to go. You just go. You just buy the ticket. I agree. Then you're Get on the plane. Yeah. So I'm not sure why, but in 1997 mm. was the first time that I heard a camera technician looked at me and said, film is dead. He had just invented one of these cameras. I was working for Kodak at the time. Yeah. And the, cam the camera technician that had built the Kodak DCS 520 digital camera said to me, film is dead. You know, mm -hmm. I've made this thing and there's no reason it's going to go away. And I looked at him and said, well, if film is dead, then why does the camera that you just built have film profiles built right. in? And one thing that I've heard a lot over the past 15 years is the book is dying. Mm -hmm. The book is dying. And yet we all know that the book is not dying. And in fact, yeah, long live the book, long live the, the book. We're the living book is in, dying. We're living in the digital age. Mm -hmm. And there's certain books, let's say that they're literature books that people are consuming on a Kindle. We know that people like that. I have a Kindle. I read books on the Kindle. Yeah, me too. But even though this is the digital age, there has not only been a resurgence of the book, it's a pretty sizable resurgence. And yeah. people have like really dug in. And what's interesting is it's coming in part from the youngest 
members mm -hmm. of sort of the book world. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I don't know if you've been to like the New York Art Book Fair or the, the one that's affiliated in LA. I've been to the LA board. Yeah, by yeah. Printed Matter. Yep. Um, I'm 50 and I felt like the oldest guy in the room at that thing. And if you go to any other book fair, I, I often feel like the youngest guy in the room. <laughs> so it's kind of a great time to be in the book world because there are there is this huge surging wave of young people making books in their own way, which I really... Um, I appreciate even if I don't always, um, I think, you know, with the sort of massive content that's out there that um, I don't always link up to most of it, but mm -hmm. it's, it's in this, re and I think this return to the object or this, um, you know, return to material engagement mm -hmm. is, is not just happening in books. You know, I was at this Oakland art murmur last week and like ceramics is back big time. Um, all kinds of weaving, dying and it's all this about need a need that i think it's this basic sort of human urge to engage with materials okay that um certainly and certainly people who you know yeah there's a lot of talk about people don't want to stare at the screen anymore but i think it goes to a more basic urge than that yeah i just think it's different i think yeah. the screen is one way of experiencing things mm -hmm. but the, the physical object i think the physical object is way more <laughs> confrontational I think some, yeah i think sometimes i'm even the opposite like i'm really interested in you know i'm not supposed to be because i'm a craftsperson <laughs> but i'm really interested in like digital I'm yeah. just i'm more interested in the screen more and more interested in the screen like i want to make a book with like smart paper and um, you know this is going to go out publicly people are going to hear that Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if on, anyone knows, like, where I can, you know. On the same note, from the high-level book world, mm -hmm. let's say the book elite, being as I work for Blurb, over the past few years, I've heard both, you know, the pros and cons. You have people that look and say, oh, it's the, you know, it's the worst thing that's ever happened. Yeah. And other people that say this is fantastic. Well, how do you feel about new technology companies, obviously you said you just like the digital and the screen. So when it comes to sort of the ability that the average person has to make a book now, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? I think it's a fine thing. And I think, I think you can't, um, I think you can't discount the power of like, um, on demand stuff. And we certainly use it as, um, we certainly use it as a protest. It can't do everything that you can do with like, you know, this sort of, we exist so much at this small end of the triangle, but I think the larger bottom end of the triangle has an equal sort of power to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think things like blurb are sort of like, it's similar to like being able to design your own typeface. Like it's up to the user to like make something really bad. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, sometimes there's like a lack of, of sensitivity or education that comes from the user. Sure. But I think that's not necessarily a, a bad thing. It's just, you know, blurb as a tool is really yeah. very interesting um, to us. But yeah, not, I, not everybody uses it in the way that, you know. Sure. Yeah, you, I've seen plenty of horrific books. Yeah, they're, tor I, they're horrible. And I've, I've seen plenty yeah. of horrific, like, um, really beautifully pr letterpress printed books also that have yeah. almost zero content. Yeah, that's... But at least they look and... Yeah, but they, they look, look good, and, and yeah. there's, a there's a whole sort of, you know, there's some uh, a whole sort of historical baggage that comes with them that gives them sort of veracity. Were, was there a specific book let's say a sort of a fine art edition book that you that was the first book that you saw that you said that is pure magic and what i'm get, what i'm after here is books that you love through your history and mm -hmm. where you where you find where do you go to look for who else, what else what other people are doing 
Um, right now, I'm really interested in, I've sort of, I sort of go back and f I can't think of like a, r a real touchstone. Um, a lot of the earliest books that I worked on when I first started bookbinding were really amazing. Um, we worked on a... Um, um, we worked on a lot of special editions for like Francesco Clemente and Ed Roche, um, Jeffrey Long, no, excuse me, Richard Long. Um, recently, more recently, I did some amazing projects with Richard Tuttle that really changed the way that I, you know, and talk about talking about material engagement. Of course, I loved Andy Warhol's books. I loved his, um, you know, I love the Andy Warhol Index. I think that's an amazing sort of publication that goes that that, that exists as an as an art object. Um, right now, I'm kind of um, we're working on a huge amount. I don't know why, but right now there there seems to be this huge resurgence of photogravure, mm -hmm. and we've worked on like six different photogravure projects. A lot of them for this publisher called Little Big Man in L.A. Okay. Um, so and those ones are really inspiring to me. Just. I think right now we're in a very, very high point. Uh, I, I sort of go back. We're at we're working at a very high sort of subtle level of craft on those kind of things right now, which I really I don't. Sometimes I'm like, oh god, this is just way too finicky. But it seems to work for the projects that we're working on now. Um, there's a publisher in New York named Russell Merritt who we've been doing some work for that's really also super high end letterpress work. And Almost mystical that it's so it's so well done. It's it kind of vibrates in a different way, even though it's just book about it, it's books about letter forms. And where do you find inspiration outside of the book world? Are you a music guy? Are you an art guy and a film guy? And do you incorporate things that you find yes. in these other? <laughs> Short answer: uh, Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, very much um, art and film. You know, film is. I would love to do uh, more books with filmmakers because I think that. The book form itself, and many people have said this, lends itself in a kinetic way to narrative storytelling, and just in the kinetic way that books operate, can be broken down into a series of film, you know, uh, of frames. I, I think that that can be. There's a lot of filmmakers I would love to do uh, books with. I'm, I'm deeply involved in the art world, just on a sort of daily basis in my work. Um, that's one of the reasons that we started this publishing endeavor is because. We're very much interested in using our sort of knowledge and skill base as making books, but applying um, artists who don't necessarily work in the book, you know, making books with artists. Okay. Um, so that's very much where we're trying to make all those work, you know, in terms of influence, that's where we're trying to make all those connections. Okay. So imagine me sitting here as a second year art student, mm -hmm. and I could be in illustration, design, photography, art, street art, whatever, any of the creative film, yeah. creative writing, and I am saying to myself, I'm going to be really good, and I want to be relevant, and I want to do an additioned book. I want to do a fine art object book. Yeah. What advice would you give to these people? Um, don't try and restrict it to your chosen media. Sometimes I think that's, uh, I think you certainly see that in the in the photo book world a lot. It's um, a little too... Um, I think a lot of photo books would be more well served by bringing in more media, meaning more writing, more film, more, ob you know. Um, I, and I think the book can be this container for so many, and this place of confluence for so many different types of media. It's, I think, the best kind of, you know, the thing that we, the advice we give to a lot of art students now is try and be as post media as you can, meaning 
it's all out there right now. And the best yeah. thing to call yourself is post-media. That means you can do everything. Like this, this artist, Sofia Cordoba, who we did this book, Infinite Encyclopedia, with, she's also in a band. She's a performance artist. She's an installation artist. And she's a fine art photographer. Yeah. she's And no problem. Yeah. And yeah. so we, earlier, when, before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about the fact that sometimes people come with a lot of tradition behind them, and they're a little bit afraid yeah. to break outside the mold. And in photography, it's especially true yeah, because absolutely. There, there's like this real tradition. Mm -hmm. And how do you get around that? How do you get people to take a chance? Because what I found, I found that people are, there's, a, there's an adverse reaction to any perceived failure today, yeah. that failure is not, not an option. But also, too, I've I run into quite a few photographers have said, oh, I would love to do such and such kind of book, but I'm afraid it will damage my catalog. Mm -hmm. Like I've got this, oh, this already pre-established catalog and yeah. everything has to fit in tune. How do you get around that? Um, sometimes I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes people come in and you're like, I'm like, well, yeah, you're a traditional silver gelatin guy and let's do the most. Sometimes let's do the most straightforward thing that we can. And I don't, I'm not against all that. I, sure. Sometimes I feel like I, I am, but I'm actually not. And, um, but ones that we do a lot of, um, we try not to be too direct about those things. And I just try and use the power of suggestion and I try and show what we've done before to sort of, you just say, Inspire. this just makes, you're not, you're, this is, this just makes your work better. Like if we, if we try and go outside of what you're doing, or if you just, you know, I have a lot of experience and sometimes I think uh, when people walk in and I can just, I can look at things that, especially if people have been looking at things for a long, long time, their microscopes way, way up. Um, if they parachute in here, we try, I try and be, I'm a lot more, um, less concerned about shooting my mouth off than I used to be. I just, I just say what I, I, I ask people, I like, do you want my opinion? And if they say yes, I give it to them. And how, how much of the process <laughs> is collaboration? A lot. A lot. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so let's say, let's say that I come in with an idea and say, this is what I want to do. What are the, what are the, the percentages of you saying, no problem, we can do that? Or the percentages of let's, what do you think about doing X, Y, and Z? Uh, mostly the latter. Yeah. Yeah, because people come in and they say, this is what we want to do. And that's a starting point for us. Okay. You know, we say no a lot, just for sometimes for technical reasons, or I just go, nah, don't, don't do that. <laughs> or, uh, but mostly a lot of times um, it's with the, the ones that really, that I really enjoy working with. That's a design progress. You know, that's a design um, sort of process that we use to get to somewhere that maybe reveals itself to, because I don't know how things are going to end up. But um, yeah, mostly with the good stuff, they come in and they, they we start with a, like this germ, the seed of an idea, and then we go from there. So let's say that I come in and we do a project, mm. and I've got this fine art edition book. Historically, what do books like these mean to the career of the artist who's doing the book? I think a lot of times, in my experience, when people come and they say they want to do fine art books, a lot of times there's an assumption that they're going to sell a pretty significant quantity and they're actually going to make money, which <laughs> is incredibly rare and difficult. Yeah. And my point is always, look, you, if, you, if you only printed three books, depending on what happens to those three books, it, it can be an incredible success. Yeah. And so what do the books that you make and the editions, how are they utilized and what do they mean to these people in their career? Um, I think traditionally a lot of people, um, particularly photographers, but also people in a, a, lot of, um, a lot of people look at a book, having a book made or a book published as a monument to a finished project. And, um, you know, it's the finishing, you know, the book is done, the project is finished. 
Um, I think the, there's also a, a democracy to a book that, you know, a book can end up in a library or in a, you know, uh, we like, we hope some of our books end up in special collections libraries. Um, I think what it means to a lot of, and a, but I think also particularly going back to photography is it's the, there's two forms that photographers work in and one of, you know, one, which goes back, I think, arguably to the beginning of photography and, you know, one is the sort of the single sort of print hanging on the wall, and the other is the book. Mm -hmm. And you know, photographers arguably more than any other medium work work in the book form. So I think a lot of them, you know, certainly Mike Light is someone who will tell you that all his his projects are conceived as books, and that that's that's the that's the way that they best exist, even if they exist as an exhibition as well. And he's a guy that I that, use all the time as an example because he is one of the few people that I know who does make books that mm. sell in significant quantities. And he works on all these different p platforms. You know, he publishes the high number, high volume trade yep. edition, like Full Moon. Yep, I and then love he Full does Moon. Those, um, and then he does um, the sort of in-between stuff that he's doing with Radius, Radius right now, yep. which are great. Yep. And then he does these monster ones that we work on that are published in an edition of nine. And they're like 36 inches high and 44 inches wide. I want one of those. They're, it's going to be hard for me to get it on the BART on the yeah, way back. Yeah, you're going to have to like get an uber or something back because <laughs> but um yeah so and he understands i think uh, as well as anybody the all the value of those different modes of, of publishing yeah for sure i mean yeah. he, he sort of he crosses over the artist book subject book mm -hmm. barrier where he's got he's he's well, that's why he's such a great reference for me as i always yeah. just turn to people and say this go study him Right. Uh, we, we do, we do, a, we work on a lot of book projects with Richard Mizrak and um, Jim Goldberg too, who also, you could argue their biggest impact uh, is through their books. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly for me, I mean, I, I've, I've seen many exhibitions of both those artists, but I think that it's their books that have the most impact on me. And so what is for you personally, as a, as a bookbinder, as a bookmaker, what is the one thing that you have always wanted or needed that you don't have that would make things exponentially better more time more time and is that time is that <laughs> yeah is that time to work or is that time to just explore the world and get inspiration from different uh, places? both but mostly i wish i had more time to um it's um it's kind of a ridiculous way to make a living so we spend <laughs> a not really uh, it's I, I spend a lot of time keeping that you know the that part of it in the air and i think like all artists i wish i had more time to work on the stuff that we really want to do. I don't lack for any, I'm actually, other than that, I'm very satisfied, of course. I would like to go out, I would like to have more time also to um, interact with the artists that we wanna work with, particularly ones that don't live here. Mm -hmm. So that's always hard to get. There's some in Europe that we wanna do projects with, uh, it's hard to get to them. My question was, Was the, is there another person, it, who's the one person out there that you have always wanted to work with that you've never even had contact with, but at some point you say, you know, I want to, I would love to do a book with that person. Well, there's a few that I kind of, there's, um, um, there's a, there's an, there's a couple of artists in Holland and Belgium that some I know a little bit. There's one named Luc de Flew who, um, I, 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 he's this amazing woodcut artist, uh, who I think he's this hermit who's maybe left Belgium once in his whole life. And I, I would have to, and you would do a project with him and it would take like 10 years, but I want to <laughs> go there and like, 
and start it. Start this monumental because he's not getting any younger, but just go like because it would just. I, I think it would be this amazing thing, and it, you know, he he would just have to do it on his terms, and um, I would very much like to to. Uh, there's a there's an artist in Australia named Dorothy Nappengardy, who's an Aboriginal artist there who does these sort of prints based on. She did some stuff at Crown Point press years ago, and I think that would make. Um, she does those walkabouts and then um, has these sort of dream visions, and then they make. She makes these kind of maps of them that it would be great to sort of go and. You better buy some plane tickets. I know. I got to get on a. That's and jumbo that's, jet. Yeah, that that I mean, those are the kind of things that I'd want to do, and that 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 it, it takes money, but more than that, for me, it takes time, which I never have. I never have enough. So, where are you going to be in five years and ten years? Um, hopefully, producing our own publications fifty percent of the time, and doing my commission work fifty percent of the time. That's that, my goal. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, and um, you know, having that, having the publications sustain themselves enough that we can that we can keep making them and um, making connections with people through that. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. It's always wonderful to talk to you. It's always very inspiring, and your, your studio is very inspiring as well. I cleaned it up for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you.